When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Duncan Mackay and on this occasion I'm joined by Craig Anderson. Hello, how are you doing Duncan? I'm very well, very well. How are you keeping Craig? Yeah, good. It's, um, it's, it's a, a throwback to your very first um, Terrace podcast which I was on, which must have been pretty close to, what, five, six years ago? Six, six years seven, ago, yeah. Seven, I, I, I record... I recorded a a podcast on the day because I, I, it came to my mind as well. I was doing something with uh, with Gary for one of the Patreons, and uh, yeah, it was it was like this is six six years to the day that I, I rocked up with um, Clyde FC masks yes, for you and, and you, and, you and Fowler, and we discussed the the imminent um, Hibs v Kelly match, which um, I'm pretty sure was was that same time, but I could be wrong. Yeah, it was around then. Yeah, sadly, sadly. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So it's uh, but it's, yeah, it's nice. I mean, we, we've been on a couple since then, but not not that often. Um, so yeah, it's good to good to get this new combination on the go again. And, well, and and speaking of new combinations, uh, there won't be any. It seems like that uh, next year in Scottish football, that was a seamless link there that um, yeah. Telford would not be proud of. Um, yeah, so obviously we're here. There's we're ahead of the Tuesday marks the SPFL EGM, um, a date in the diary that everyone I'm sure has fixed and is is, is looking forward to. And um, it's a bit of a farce, really, all things considered. Yeah, it's just it feels like it's only serving to give people something to talk about. Like at this point, it's just like we we, we it you would have nothing um, I'm sure the the BBC journalists and other journalists are just delighted that they, they have a job to do as a result. Yeah, if, if, from my perspective, like it, it feels like it's uh, it doesn't really feel like it's taking place in reality. You know, like it, like um, you know, the, I mean, the Scottish, the UK government, like. Uh, Communications on this has been, I've been, I've been a pig's ear. But one of the things that in the I noted in the in uh, the stuff they put out today was there's going to be no competitive sport until the first June, and that they they don't perceive there being any fans in attendance until there's a vaccine found. Um, you know, so that so there's a, a huge reliance on developing fa- on a, a developing a, a vaccine. Um. And if that is the case, if that's going to be how we go for for months to come, then there's a whole raft of issues coming at Scottish football that uh, 
getting uh, chairman getting their willies out and measuring them and putting statements on websites it just really isn't a big priority for me. Yeah, it's it's not just willies. You should point out. Um, yeah, sorry. But, yes, yeah, but it feels um, very. But, but yeah. It does feel very willy waving. Yeah, no, it's just yeah. That's it for me. It's like at the at this stage, it's it's all posturing. Like nobody is acting in good faith with it. It's just it's just about grandstanding for the supporters. At this point, nobody's thinking. I want this outcome because I want a genuinely better version of Scottish football. It's all it does all feel like a bit of a from from all sides like a. Um, like it's yeah, it's kind of gone partisan, and we want to get one over on other people. And but there's, just, al- yeah. there's also there's also the element of uh, that every single person comes out and says, "Well, the other forty-one are partisan, but me, I am just all, I am the one that's all, uh, that's operating in good faith." You know, let me uh, tell you what's wrong from my high horse. But uh, you know, you, uh, but you know, so they can't be accused of you know everyone's at it, but no one's saying, "Oh yeah, we're at it. We're we're doing what's in the interest of our club," and that's you know, that, as is everyone else. Yeah, and I mean, if we where, where do we start then? If we look at the kind of raft of statements that have come out, I guess. Um, so over the weekend we had what hearts a hundred almost. Yeah, hearts Inverness. Aberdeen Dundee had one then last week. Dundee Aberdeen put under one. A Kelty have put one out. The Fairman had one today. The Fairman had one today. Falkirk had one as well. Yeah. Um, um, and it, it's, it's, it's part of this as well. And uh, aside from the airing of the grievances, uh, it's not moved the debate on one iota from what I see. No, and, and we've almost not learned anything that we didn't know before, which is that the vote itself was clearly held under be, being being very generous to the SPFL. Unusual um, circumstances, but, but it was farcical in the way it was carried out. The the outcome the problem is like at this stage that that vote is what it is that that's that's kind of cast in stone and more so even if the um, the inquiries that do get carried out if if anything does happen shows that it, there were some improprieties with it well they can just withdraw it and, and hold another vote and pretty much are guaranteed you're going to get the same result anyway so I said at the time after it came out, the SPFL, rather than accepting Dundee's votes, they just went, right, let's bend this whole thing and start again. And they would almost certainly have got the result that they wanted, that the board wanted, and would have at least kind of stepped themselves away from this. But I think the, the not even the communications, but the, the, the way the SPFL have handled this has been abysmal, which is, is what you've come to expect. Like, they just... They don't think about the perception of decisions that they make. Now that's separate from from whether it's right or wrong. I'm just even thinking back. The one that the one that always sticks with me is when uh, Hart, the year Hearts won the championship, and on the final day of the season, they moved um, a Rangers game for TV. It was a Hearts v Rangers actually, uh, and had it kicking off at a different time to everything else, and never thought, oh, maybe people aren't going to be happy with that, and like seem bewildered that people might think. That this was unusual, and I feel like that's how they they behave. It's like they bumble along, almost thinking, "Well, yeah, this is fine," but they they don't really have an idea of perception. 
Well, yeah, I think that as you were trying to be generous to them, I'll I'll take my turn at being generous to them and say that you know it's a uh, uh, the, the SPFL is not a big organisation. As far as I'm aware, it's about maybe 12 full-time members of staff or whatever. It's not a huge operation. You know, If you lose one person, you're you're down almost 10% of your operating capacity. You know, In comparison to other leagues, you know, I've said this time and time again, you know, the MLS employs just 150 people in its communications team alone. You know, It's a small organisation and it is not... Uh, it's not given permission by what well, this is my perception of it. It's not given permission by its members to be particularly creative or to to, to think of these things. You know, I, I kind of think in in other normal organisations, uh, using quote marks there. You know that part of your, the role in the centre is to think unpopular thoughts and to think about things that will. Um, that will that are potential risk, like you know, that uh, you know, a, a normal organisation uh, would have a risk committee or what have you, which looks at uh, what are the potential problems ahead, and you know, that's you know, all these things is it's it's still a membership body, but it's run on kind of um, feels like golf club mentality of oh, we'll just be able to sort this out by you know, uh, get, you know, getting everyone around the table and things sort of that. Whereas that's not how the modern world operates. The modern world operates on your know, contract law. And things like that, where you put down on paper that what what happens here if the very worst thing that we can imagine, and then double that by twenty, happens, how will we resolve this? And so then, so this idea that you know that pandemics aren't uh, that unusual, really, uh, in human existence, and you know it, it's caught a lot of sport blindsided, but the SPFL especially is weak. And and I think that the mantra that I've been using in my day job all the time is that. Um, I've probably said it on here a few times as well, is that all this virus is doing is exposing fault lines that were already there. So yeah. beforehand, we knew that the SPFL was a bit of a guddle. And you know, so it's no surprise that in a time of stress, it's been found wanting and fractured. Yeah, and I, and I think the other thing is they were, they were in kind of between a rock and a hard place as such. There is, no, there is not a single possible solution that would have pleased everyone. So no, but you, but you, you, could, know, but you yeah. could have had a situation where this scenario was tested with, before before the idea of a pandemic. Like you know, that they could say like, what happens in the worst case scenario? Like you know, like that Brazilian team that happened uh, that happened a couple of years ago. Like what happens if we lose a team coming back from a European adventure? Like what is what is the the league set up? What is our response instead of having to scramble? Uh, when thing when you, when when you hit the iceberg? Um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Having- yeah. Having rules in place, and almost certainly now, every league is going to have a rule in place that says, well, if... Um, and it'll be in their TV contracts as well, that's for sure. Um, but, yeah, you, but, but yeah, you can say, so So if we come back to, to reconstruction, so you can say, well, obviously as a result of the talks breaking down, you have um, Hearts, you have Inverness, you have Partick Thistle, you have Falkirk, and and they've kept quiet to be to be fair to them, but you have Edinburgh City who potentially could have been promoted as a result, um, and uh, and also I guess are um, unhappy because they're now being relegated or not promoted, and and likewise you've got Kelta Kelty and Brora who are missing out on a chance at promotion. If you had a different reconstruction, well then you'd just be pissing off a different set of teams. You you would be pissing off. Um, for example, Clyde and were, were very unhappy about the idea of a 
3-14s because they would have ended up back in a tier with all the teams that they just got promoted out of last year, despite not being in a relegation place. If anything that you do is going to piss people off, then then you are ultimately, I think what the SPFL should have done is, um, as I say, made, made the process a bit more palatable to clubs. And, and that's just because, they, yeah, they tried to... Uh, they tried to just push something through rather than just saying, okay, this is the vote, here we go. And when it went wrong, go back to the drawing board. They, they, they tried to rush, I think, and I think they tried to rush for good reasons, but I think they lacked the creativity, as we've talked about, to, to do the right thing. Reconstruction, for me, was, was always seemed un, unlikely because the only way you can save hearts is by going to 14. And as soon as you go to 14, you're reducing the amount of money that other premiership clubs have access to because it has to be spread out more and you are asking teams to kind of change a system which has actually worked quite well so, so yeah, as soon as you, I mean, cause I've, I've seen people kind of being critical of of several I think there was six six SP, uh, sorry, six premiership clubs who blocked it um, it hasn't been entirely clear who the identities were but I think I think Hibs was certainly one um, I think St Johnston Ross County and St Mirren were definitely amongst them. I, I don't know who else beyond that um, who, who didn't really want reconstruction. And they were kind of been saying, well, why, why not? And I said, well, maybe they think it's like, they're not forced to say reconstruct, or we must reconstruct now if they like the league how it was. And, and as we've said several times before, it wasn't on the agenda in any serious way prior to this. So it's not like some pressing issue. My feeling is... There what there wasn't a need for reconstruction before all this, and therefore any any reconstruction we did would almost be to to save teams. Now, I, personally, I would say I I have a lot of sympathy for each of the teams who have been relegated because the season wasn't completed, um, and and so they did they didn't get the chance to save themselves, and I think that's reasonable. I think. Hearts, even even though I, I kind of take the piss out of them, they, they do have a, a genuine, realistic grievance there. But the problem is, yeah, well, absolutely. The, alternative, the alternative is that Dundee United don't come up um, and they would have a grievance as well. And this, this is what I think has been missed here. This idea that, oh, you can just make everyone happy. You can't. Someone has to, to be disadvantaged inevitably. Yeah, I think I think you're right, and and, and I suppose that that points um, makes the case even better for having that in your rule book that says should there be a reason why we can't complete the season for whatever reason, then these procedures are in place. You know that it, it's not beyond you. Know, I, I mean, again, you know, it's not beyond the wit of man to 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 think that there might be a there might be reasons why a, a league season can't be finished, and so this idea that. No, and it's, it appears to have caught all of, of all of sport um, <laughs> off guard in the, in that regard, and um, that that you should have something in place that says, well, actually, you know, if if the if the decision made to call the league by a certain point, or we don't play for sixty days or, or whatever, then that is league called, and this, these are the consequences of it. Either the season is is null and void, or that uh, the decisions the, the league standings where you are on a points per game basis are the um, are, are the final standings, and then no and, one can really have no. Then no one can really have a problem with it. And but it, I think it's the it's the problem of making stuff up as you go along is 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 where you get into trouble. And it's the same with the 
Same with reconstruction and things like that. I, I, in an ideal world, if you're going to reconstruct the league, you should start that season being very aware of where you have what what to finish in a certain position means for your club. Um, you know, as at a worst in case now, you know, it could be a case where you start the season and you don't have league sponsor, um, and so you're only guaranteed a certain amount of money, and then a league sponsor comes in halfway through the season and you get extra money. I don't know, club's going to be annoyed about that, but you shouldn't be in a position where you uh, where you face a detriment because of decisions made during the run of the competition. Yeah, I mean, and in a normal world, you, you can't do this mid-season. It's 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 not reasonable. Now, I think I think I think there was a fair a fair argument for for trying it, but the problem was as soon as as soon as you try and get everyone around the table and find something acceptable, chances are you're not because I think if you asked the if you'd asked the the thirty the forty two teams in the SPFL in August. What do you, like? What system would you go for? I think at least half of them, if not more, would have said no. Just just keep it the way it is. Um, and so you're then asking those teams to change when they are not personally affected, and and, and that's what it comes down to. And so I think that the clubs do just in, in some senses have to kind of um, suck it up, to be honest. And and maybe what what was missing is there should have been financial compensation. Um, I think that would have been reasonable to say. Okay, Hearts, you've been relegated, but here, here's a, here's some money that says, you know, yeah, a, a, a parachute payment. Yeah, more than, more or than an, an additional, yeah, an additional. Um, just, just to say, look, these are unforeseen circumstances. Like, yeah. Um, just like likewise with with the two teams who, um, because I've, I've heard a lot of nonsense about this recently about the fact that the Breakin obviously didn't get relegated. Whereas the bottom of every other league did, but in itself, the breaking are in a playoff place just the same as um, Hamilton were, or just the same as um, Queenly South were, or so on. So, so the playoffs all get binned. So, of course, they can't go down because if they, if you say, "Well, we're relegating breaking," well, who who are you promoting? Because you don't have a team to promote because they've not played each other yet. So that part, but again, you do have two teams who've been genuinely disadvantaged there in, in Kelty Hearts, Broader Rangers, because. Normally they would play off against each other, get a chance. So surely again you can you can throw a bone their way. You can say, yeah. okay, for example, okay, um if next year you'll you'll be guaranteed something, you know, for the next next three years we'll invite you into the League Cup or whatever it may be, like some way of do you know what I mean? Just to say, here's something for you to say sorry as such. Um, yeah, absolutely. I don't think like I've seen people saying well breaking have been saved by this. You, there's not there's not a single solution. As soon as the season finishes, there's not a single way breaking are being relegated. Either the league goes up to twelve teams and breaking are still in it, or what happened now, which is they stay up yeah. and no one else comes up. And I think I think people are yeah people are being too tied down in all these little silly things that are that are somewhat irrelevant to the big picture. Yeah, I agree, and I th- and I, th- I think that the way it's been handled has done damage, and we'll see how damaging it is to the pyramid system. But again, that wasn't perfect uh, in, the, in the current form it was. So perhaps it will end up uh, showing, you know, again, uh, it might end up with a, a, a faster solution to how we get ambitious clubs from 
the Lowland, Highland and soon to be West of Scotland League into the, the league situation. But again, the, the great difficulty is that as far as premiership clubs are concerned, they don't really give a flying fuck about uh, what's going on at the bottom of League 2 in the same way yeah. that most League 2 clubs don't really care about the Premiership and so you know, it's it, it's a very uh, how how the the, the organisation came into place is, is, is maybe it's maybe that's the problem is that from day one it was all it's always uh, been organised with its hand behind, tied behind its back and, and primarily because that's exactly what the clubs, clubs wanted it's been it's been a, like commercially as much as we want to kind of poke holes at it. It's been commercially a success for all the clubs involved because the the amount of money that's been brought in since it became SPFL is is way higher than what was being brought in by the two organisations separately, and and as a result, clubs are being paid more money, and that's what they want. But it does come at this kind of yeah uneasy kind of combination of things um, in terms of, you know, the relationships between the clubs, a lot of distrust and so on. Um, and I guess that brings you on to the to the, the dossier as such, which um, certainly wasn't the, the smoking gun that I think people wanted. And I think from, from what Rangers had, like there, there were things in there that if you ask me about an investigation, I think it would, as I said this before, it would be a good idea to have an investigation into all this because I think it would give closure, get the facts out there. But the problem is the FPFL could spend two million quid on an investigation, the, the best investigation known to man. And whatever the result was, people would just kind of say, oh, you, you were going to find that out. Or do you know what I mean? Like there's not, people aren't going to listen to the, the report. People aren't going to read the report. They're just going to have made their mind up now. Not being really support, yeah. I think um, yeah. There's a, there's an element of sorry. There's an element of the 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 Rangers dossier that is a is a clear example of uh, you know, you know wine can talk about my day job, but like you know, the, being in communications, like the 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 messenger can be just as important as the message. Sometimes, not all the time, and this is not having a this is not meant to be an anti Rangers dig, but the way that uh, that see so this is this is the thing is I think Rangers have a legitimate I think they do have legitimate concerns about how the SPFL has operated, but the manner in which it has operated previously and during this crisis has undermined its ability to convince others that this is a, a, a battle worth fighting. And again, this is when we go back to this idea is that um, you know, the fact of the matter is. If the, if the virus sticks around and we don't have a vaccine and we we're not uh, uh, we're not in a place where fans can attend until twenty twenty one or even beyond that, you <laughs> that's a much bigger wave than the, the, the this is that's going to have a much bigger impact on Scottish football than the the governance of the SPFL because we're going to have we're going to be in a situation where the the SPFL has got to get money from government somehow or some has got to find some way of keeping. It's cl- its members in business, and I'm not sure how you do that. And and again, I can understand the SPFL's point of view and dismissing Dossie and wanting to move on because that's where the focus should be. And it's not. And I'm not saying you need to park the park the Dossie and completely forget about it and stuff like that. I think that that is definitely something that can be revisited. But the fact of the matter is, I can't get too wound wound up on about that if we're not going to have you know, live football in grounds until January because there's a much bigger existential threat to Scottish football. Right, and the, and the point is, I think as I kind of touched on the start, it's not going to it's not going to affect anything. 
you can say so it's, it can affect like perhaps individual board members get found you know to have acted yeah. inappropriately that they might lose their job or whatever like you can you, you can might imagine a new, you might get a new chief executive for example yeah but, but it's, again, not change, not... it's not going to change the outcome of what's happened because i don't think there, there was there certainly wasn't a single part that would make you go this outcome that was reached is not the correct one you know it's like oh well the SPFL could could they or could they not have loaned teams money? Where I think the answer is legally or, or sorry under their rules, yes they could, but they didn't have to. It, there there isn't a rule in the SPFL that says you must provide loans to clubs. So again, it is re- it's a reason. Rangers have a reasonable position of saying we think clubs should have been loaned money. The SPFL have a reasonable position of saying we don't want to loan clubs money we've been burned by it in the past which which happened with Gretna so they're both in that position of saying you know that that's not going to that's not going to suddenly overthrow the SPFL leadership and it's like all this stuff of um of Dunfermline bullied clubs by saying you you might you know the money might be split evenly across the division if you don't vote for this it's like well it's probably true if you don't have and I think Dunfermline made that point today if you don't decide to draw a, a season to the close and you don't decide on league placings, well, the natural consequence of that is that if there aren't league placings, then all the teams in the league are equal, and therefore would have to get paid equally. Like, like I don't. If you if you're going to say we are not declaring any winner in the championship and nobody's tenth and everyone's just not there, floating in space. <laughs> yeah, naturally all 10 of those clubs, any income they get, they're saying, well, that, that's got to be split between us. So what some people perceive as a threat, for me, that's just a, a statement of fact. Um, or, or not, I mean, not fact, but a statement, of, it's a true statement. And and this is this has been one of my biggest bugbears of all, is this constant language of threat and bullying. It's, it's a couple of guys sending you an email that is... is Certainly, from there, it, it, you disagree with it. It's not from it, their perspective; does not agree with your perspective, and they are maybe saying it in a tone that you don't like. But that's that's not what bullying is. And so, I, I really, yeah, I'm really fed up of of that kind of narrative. And, and it just for me, it's it's fueled on by by a media as well. And and, it, and I think it's a, a really unhelpful atmosphere because I think folk are just getting worked up by it. And, and kind of whipped up into a frenzy by people using language when if you sit back and kind of write what what do we know actually has happened here it becomes less scary or less incriminating as such and so it's the whole yeah I find the whole thing that there certainly wasn't a the, the dossier as such didn't have anything in it which would make you go we have to redo this. Well, this is all. This has all been done so inappropriately. This is corrupt or anything like that. It's like, as you said, it's like the golf club not quite thinking about how, you know, to to decide on something. It's like yeah, the Sunday Meadow when it rained, the playoff got rained off, and then they didn't know how to decide who the winner was. Uh, it kind of has that feeling about it. Uh yeah. I mean, I'm always I I will always veer towards. Uh, more cock up than conspiracy at the end of things, just mainly because you look at uh, the level, of the competence of the people involved, like to be able to pull off a, a grand conspiracy for for again 
the ends seem uh, not particularly worthwhile as well. You know, there's this idea, like, I don't, uh, I mean, you see it, they've seen a few uh, lunatic bloggers and stuff talking about, uh, you know, a Celtic mafia that exists in the SPFL. I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that that, uh, I'm not sure how Celtic winning the league helps any other club. Uh, you know, like, it's it, so, but again, it's this thing, is that the Scottish football has got to, to heal and kind of come together and just at a certain point and I'm and and maybe that comes after some sort of investigation or whatever but it doesn't feel like again I just bigger picture I don't feel like we're getting anywhere at the same time as thousands upon thousands of people are dying and it seems like such a strange thing to get for people to get so worked up about because it is football and if we don't get if we don't solve the bigger issues there won't be football to come back to but but the thing is as well with all this two two years down the line if we're back playing again this is, this will be as with about a million other things like a minor grumble that people you know you think of like, if you think back to twenty twelve in that Rangers summer and how like fractured yeah, it was yeah. and and yes you're still seeing like the the um the sort of residues of that and you're still seeing you know little animosities here and there and, and you know um, Rangers fans kind of got their backs up about it Celtic fans being assholes online about it generally just like, and, and other fans as well. Generally, folk are, most folk are just carrying on and enjoying the football, and I think that's what people forget is like these um, statements and stuff serving, and we we are amongst these group, but it serves towards like a very small number of people who are hugely engaged in that aspect of the governance of football. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, like, most this of the is... crowd turn up; they just go and watch the game. They want to watch yeah. the team win. They don't care. Let's be honest, this is the Monday after the Scottish Cup final was due to take place. I would much rather be on talking about how um, Hibs had uh, an amazing comeback 3-2 against uh, against Celtic this time um, instead of uh, instead of what, what, we're having, what we've spent the last uh, 35 minutes or so talking about. Yeah. So on that, I think we'll, we can leave that and I'm sure uh, people will have their views and uh, we'll get in touch with the show uh, and probably tweet uh, uh, some sort of uh, soup-taking jibe at myself or whatever. Um, yeah, or, and, and Craig, but uh, we, next we're up, we're going to one of our Scotland memorable matches. And this one's certainly memorable uh, for being a low light, I would say, of the of uh, Scotland uh, internationally in recent years, and that is a game from the Friday the 5th of October 2010. Tiny Tempa, written in the stars, was number one in the charts as the Czech Republic defeated Scotland 1-0 in Euro 2012 qualification. Um, how might people better know this, remember this game, Craig? Um, it's, it's, of course, famously um, the game where Jamie Mackey played wide right. <laughs> um, no, it's the it's the um, four six four six zero, or is, or is some people because they're thick call it the six four zero because they don't understand formations. Uh, well, uh, I would just like to point out that Ewan Murray called it a, a four two four two in his Guardian piece, but that's definitely not because he'd been told what to say by um, by Scotland management at the time. No, not at all. Um, so yes, Scotland humbled in uh, in Prague. Uh, Roman uh, Hubnik with the winner after six nine minutes. So the plan to to overwhelm uh, the Czech Republic was. Uh, was almost almost there. Um, it was Scotland's third game in the group. Uh, they previously come off that um, huge two-one victory over Liechtenstein the month before, um, but uh, it wasn't to be this time. 
Um, what are your memories of this uh, of this match, Craig? So my memory is like, um, yeah, I remember thinking like what what people have said all along: how to qualify for a major tournament is you win your home games and you draw your away games. And so I think Craig Levine has thought right that's that's my policy here and it's maybe taken it somewhat to the extremes and now unusually for me I'm going to stick up for Craig Levine a little bit here in the sense that I think the hysteria around this was worse than the actual concept um teams played 4-6-0 for, for a long time Euro 2012 finals Spain won it playing a 4-6-0 it's not it's not um, completely you know and where it gained um, credence because uh, Ruben Kazan had played it and played that formation against Barcelona and, and, and beat them in the new camp uh, just the, uh, the October previously as well. Yes, yeah, so it, 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 there was there was some there was some sense in what he was doing, but the problem, as with so many things with Craig Levine, is that he's he's an asshole. He's arrogant, and therefore, rather than trying to kind of sell it in a particular way that might have made it, um, you know, more palatable to people. Um, I've, I've said before, I think he should have just said it was a 4-5-1 with Graham Dorans playing centre forward and people would not even have noticed because um, Scotland have played much more defensively or, or at least as defensively in, um, in previous games in the past and it's never been brought up. The, the one that always springs to mind for me is a 0-0 draw in Belarus under Walter Smith, where I think if you look at the team, we had seven defenders on the park. It was like a back, it was like a back four, and then you had um, I think the midfield three was something like Christian Daly, Gary Caldwell, and Graham Alexander. Um, it's something along those lines. Um, it was much more defensive than this because when you look at the team that Scotland put out, yes, you have your back four. You have um, you have McGregor in goals. You have uh, Hutton. And Whitaker is a fullback. Sorry, I'll bring the team up here because I've forgotten. Hutton and Whitaker is a fullback, and you had um, McManus and Weir as your centre half. That's quite a strong back four. And, and, and let's Cole. be honest, with with Hutton and Whitaker, two players that aren't uh, adverse going forward as well. Yeah, and then you've got Caldwell sitting in midfield. Now he did that quite a lot under several Scotland managers, so that wasn't unusual. He did it for Celtic as well. And then you had Fletcher and um, Morrison in the middle of the park, pretty. Morrison's quite an attack-minded player. Fletcher kind of goes up and down. And then you had a, a three other players, which was kind of in the, the number 10, the false nine, whatever you want to call it, was Dorans. You had Naismith off the left and Mackey off the right. So it's not... There, there's at least four, if not five, attack-minded players in that team. It's not like a team on paper that's like packed with defenders and just sit back. Now, what, what Levine, for me, and, and I'll always stick to this, got wrong was he overestimated that the fact that, you know, when, when Ruben Kazan did that, they have months and months to prepare for games or they have weeks with the players. He gets the Scotland players in for a couple of days and asks them to, to line up in a formation they're not used to. And Levine isn't clever enough as a manager to get away with it. So he can think about the concept all he wants, but if he doesn't get that across to the players, it turns into a mess, which is what it was. The interesting thing watching back the highlights was I had it in my mind that Scotland basically never got up the park. There was actually an incident, um, a, a chance in the first half where Alan Hutton goes down the right, he crosses it in, and you actually see that there are four or five Scotland players in the box and everyone's pushed high up the park. Like I think the two centre-halves were in their own half and everyone else is in the Czech half of the park. And I think this is the problem is 
because of how it was perceived at the time, and correctly because it, it was defensive as as he as the team lined up because they weren't well coached in it. The criticism becomes the formation and not the way the team set up. Yeah, if you know what I mean. And 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 it's not helped because I think um, the bulk of the journalists who are covering it are are not particularly tactically minded. They don't really think about football that way. And so you just got an immediate barrage of negativity from everyone. And even probably if Scotland had drawn 0-0, I'm not sure that would have been any different. The one thing I will say of that, though, is Kenny Miller was on the bench and came on. Kenny Miller was in like the form of his life at that point. So that's what makes it strange because there's been a lot of long, a lot of times where Scotland have really struggled. Um, yeah, no, just not that strike even, now, even now, an informed centre forward. And so you might be tempted. It's why Naismith played a lot of games as a centre forward, for example, on his own, because there, there just wasn't someone. But, but Miller was at that period now. But, but what I guess you have to remember is the Liechtenstein game, and this is, this is Levine down to a tee. The Liechtenstein game, which was the previous one, he started with Boyd and Miller up front and James McFadden off the left, and it was a mess. They they didn't connect with each other. Everything just went badly. And it's almost like this is, uh, to me, it's always how Levine worked. He was, he was so reactionary that he was like, right, well, I can't do that again. So now he went to the complete opposite of having packing his team with reliable players, workers, runners, and not having anyone different. Yeah, I think it was, uh, it was also at the point where... I think Levine never had a particularly easy, uh, well, he's never had a, a, an easy time with um, journalists. Largely, you could maybe argue self-inflicted, and so I think he was he was furious that the team had been leaked to the, to the tabloids ahead of the game as well. I he felt that was that, that, yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, and David and David Weir that like has talked about, it and he said you know there was it was a bit of a shock to the players in regard to team selection, the tactics because. Um, you know, obviously Miller was in the form of his life at that point. Fletcher didn't even make the bench. Um, you know, again, but I suppose there's a, there's a wider thing, which is you know that for, uh, that failing conventionally is acceptable, whereas what Levine was trying to do was was something different. But he just like uh, you, know, if you're you can kind of get away with doing that if you're a proven winner and stuff like that. That you can you, like, you've got to have credit in the bank to, and, and to be we, doing things like that. We all know that Craig Levine is, is not a proven winner. As uh, no, yeah, he, could, he he literally could not do a single piece of silverware that he's won. That he could not do the show me your, any. Literally, any player could turn around to him and say, "Show me your medals," and he would be fucked. So, so one, um, yeah, one of the substitutes for Scotland that day was uh, Chris Awolumo, um Has won more trophies than Craig Levine. That's, that's that's nice to know, isn't it? Um, the, since then, though, we've played the Czech Republic twice and drawn once and beat uh, and beaten them. So, uh, you know, maybe the, that, maybe that, that was. That's the biggest downside of this game is that Czech Republic team were not that good. Um, it was almost you know they they, they qualified for Euro two thousand and eight, and I think they were quite good at Euro two thousand and eight. They didn't reach the World Cup in twenty ten just before this. So there was nothing to fear from. Yeah, they had some good players. I mean, if you look through the, the Czech team, which we never, I guess, read out, Czech in goals, Hubnik, Suchi, Pospisic and Kadlec, Plasio, Polak, Rosicky, Hubsman, Nesid and Magera. Like, 
there's some names in there. Obviously, Rossic, a, a brilliant player. Placeo played at high level. Kadlec played at high level. Czech and, 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 and Roman Bednar coming off the bench. Roman Bednar came on, of course. Um, but you're not talking about some amazing Czech team. And that's kind of why it's a missed opportunity. That group as a whole is a missed opportunity. Even with the 0-0 draw um, against Lithuania, even with the shambles against Liechtenstein, even with this, we ended up, I think, a point behind the Czech Republic. And it was only the game, which I think has been talked about on this previously, the 2-2 at Hamden, which we should have won. That saved us from finishing second in this group. And that that in itself is quite, um, you know, I think it says it all about a missed opportunity that Levine had. This was this was a relatively easy group compared to some of the ones we've had either side of it. Yeah, and I think I think the problem was that this result just kind of it meant the cast was died uh, for for Levine. Um, just because I, I think after that, like I think the good faith that he'd, he'd maybe amassed amongst Tartan Army uh, fans. Uh, you know, as part of the go to all the way games, that kind of diminished as well because I don't think you know we we all have our opinions of the Tartan Army, but I don't think they necessarily uh, go there to watch a team be as kind of meek. And that, and then again, like we were saying, it wasn't that when you look back on it, it wasn't a meek performance. It was just that uh, this football na- football loves a narrative, and so like it, it, the the uh, the narrative is built up around this game probably far greater than uh, than it deserves to. Yeah, and that that's kind of it's partly kind of in our culture, I guess, that we just we don't have a football culture of kind of studying things based on on the processes and what happened. We have a, a culture of studying things based on results. And yeah, and it's, and, it's a, and it's a sensational sensationalized culture as well. So yeah. if you win, you're brilliant. If you lose, you're terrible. Uh, you're either you you're either the next big thing or a, or has been. You know, there's there there is very little uh, nuance uh, usually around around football. Yeah, and 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 this became the period. The cab actually, and as, as much as um, as much as I do take the piss out of him, quite liked Craig Levine as a manager. I thought I thought um, when he was at Dundee United, I really really liked him, and I I wanted him to get the Scotland job at that point. I thought he was the right guy for it. Um, and and so I actually kind of stuck with him for a while, and, and um felt he was he was unlucky up even in this campaign at the time. I was like, well, you know, we, we only got robbed as such by a really bad penalty decision against the Czechs, otherwise we would have we've had the playoff and and so on. And it wasn't until yeah the, the shambles of the start of the next one that I kind of was like, right, you know, do you know what? This guy is not for him. And so yeah, it feels like yeah, it feels like a just a missed opportunity and the the game itself, I mean the Czechs, probably not surprisingly, given how many defensive players we or, or the shape we had, didn't really hurt us at all from open play. It was all like set pieces and breakdowns from second ball, so it wasn't a surprise that the goal came from from a corner. And then I remember people at the time saying, "Oh well, you know, you can hardly you can hardly blame the tactics because you know we only conceded from a corner." And it's like, well, yeah, if you play like that and you're going to concede twenty corners in a game, well, yeah, there's a pretty good chance you're maybe going to concede from one. Yeah, it's uh, another another fine chapter uh, in in Scottish football history. Uh, is anything else about this game that you want to add? Not really. Like more more so than um, most of these other games, there's actually very little of the football to talk about because I do remember watching it and it was just a dire game of football. Uh, um, yeah, I remember. Really, what, I was 
on the traveling up to Elgin. So we, I watched the highlights later on that night, and yeah, it was uh, yeah knowing the game. Actually, it was the it was the night that I'd I'd thought actually you know Stephen Naismith is a is a very uh, good interviewee. That was that was the night I discovered <laughs> that as well. I remember that from the interview from the radio. Um, and the the only thing I guess is that um, Alan McGregor at one point in the game comes flying out with his boot towards a player catching the ball, um, which is his kind of trademark move. Um, I enjoyed watching that. You know, when it when he catches the ball and there's a striker coming towards him, he makes sure they like leave something in on them. Um, but so, so it's good to that, see that some so, yeah some things never change. Um, yeah, and so yeah, an unmemorable game, just memorable for for everything round about it. Yeah. So uh, hopefully we haven't depressed you too much on this edition of the the, uh, of the podcast, um, talking about uh, SPFL governance followed by a shambles of a defeat in in Prague. We'll uh, maybe do that, but hopefully we'll be back. Uh, though obviously there'll be loads of stuff on the Patreon as well, but um, hopefully you're enjoying some of that content. And hopefully at some point, me and Craig will get to talk about things that bring us joy. But uh, thank you very much for your time tonight, Craig. Yeah, cheers, Duncan. It's been great talking to you. All right, take care of yourself and stay safe. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.